The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. All right, so I'm just as nervous up here as if any of you guys are up here, so just kind of bear with me if it's kind of, but I just like to be real. So I, uh, me and the worship team, minus Jamin, who's the gentleman up there, but we all went to Atlanta and had some fun over there, but I just kind of wanted to tell a brief little story about that. We, the main purpose of that was to kind of revitalize us, put us on a, on a clear-cut path of what it means to be a worship team for a church, and we saw some of the best of the best. Uh, if any names like Chris Tomlin, uh, David Crowder, uh, Chris Stanfi- Christian Stanfill, yeah, those are some top-notch guys, and they were, they're the leader at Passion City Church. If you ever look that up, uh, they have lots of folks over there about but anyways, I just want to say how Jesus worked, uh, what, the, what Atlanta was like real quick, and then, uh, and then I'll pass it over to Randy. Um, well, we were set to go to Atlanta on Thursday. So we're, this past Thursday, we were set to go. And uh, we had planned it in a month advance. Uh, the bass player, Alicia, she's like, hey, John, are you going to be able to go? And I'm like, yes, I can go. I booked it in the calendar. Lo and behold, uh, I get jury duty. And not just jury duty. I'm talking federal jury duty. I got to head to Columbia. So I was a little bit bummed out. I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to go. I told Randy. Uh, I was like, and Randy's uh, in the system, and Lori Jamin's wife, she's in the system as well. And I didn't know much about the court system, but they said, federal, you're not getting out of that. I mean, sorry, we might have been able to pull some strings, but no, you're going to be going. So we prayed about it. That was the first instinct. And I love that about what this church has done for me. I've, I'm here for about three months, and my first instinct, let's pray about it. We prayed about it. I asked some other folks to pray about it in our in city, which is like a, a community where we all can talk on the internet, it's Facebook for Doxa Church. And uh, I said, let's pray about it. And we prayed about it. And lo and behold, Jesus comes through, and I got to go. I, got to, I postponed jury duty. I'll be doing that sometime later, so I'll have to miss something else. But um, So that was really cool, just to see how Jesus is, is, is alive, you know, and, and working is a, is a real cool thing. Uh, we get to Atlanta, and it was real fun. It, Atlanta's a big place. I'm not a big city boy, you know, here in Myrtle Beach. Uh, and we get to this church, and it used to be a, a Home Depot expo, so it was giant. Like, I'm talking, you walk in, you're like, is this a wall? This is like two Walmarts, super centers, packed into one. That's what this church is. Get in there, it's giant, and they have lights, they have speakers. When they hit the bass on the bass drum, literally your shirt just like wiggles a little bit. It's so loud. Uh, you would think that that's where I got most of the uh, pull from of, of, of where I was getting my influence. Like, wow, look at that worship team up there. They're hitting every single note. Their voices are flawless. And the production was amazing. They, their screen, they had five screens up there. The words came up every single time. There's no mess-ups. You're like, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but strange enough, that's not what changed my heart. That's not what influenced me most. What it was were the door holders. What? Door holders? The door holders. The people of the congregation held the doors. They came there on Thursdays and Fridays. Every single Sunday, they were there. And they just changed the whole entire ballgame. I kid you not. It was like a, 
you walked in. It, I felt like I was trying, like they were trying to have me buy something. You, you ever notice, like you go into like some store or a kiosk at the mall at Grand Strand, and you're like, oh, hey, how are you? Yeah, go, hey, I try on these new, cool, new things, put in your feet, and your whole back will fix and everything like that. But it wasn't, they were just so nice, and it was so genuine. It just blew me away. I couldn't stop talking about it. And it showed me that just doing something for your church, you may not be able to play an instrument, you may not feel like dealing with kids or something of the sort, but if you're, if you're just holding the door and greeting folks for your church, I mean, wow, that's another way of worshiping, and it, that blew me away, and so uh, I really wanted to bring that to this church. If uh, I encourage you guys, to, if, there, if there's some way you can, if, you know, that's there, that option's there, so uh, with that, I had a great time. I learned a lot. It's it's not about, we're not as amazing sounding as they, as they are at that church, but God only wants to hear your voice. That's, that's the coolest thing about that. He wants to hear your voice. It, and they said that, and that, that just uh, shook me when I heard that. And I was like, all right, because I'm not a good singer. But with that, I'll hand this over to Randy, and uh, thank you guys for listening to me. All right. Mother's Day is always kind of a weird day. Holidays are weird um, in general. Uh, because there's so many like mixed emotions that come with it. Um, so anytime, even in a group this size, we, we get together, there's going to be a mixture of people and their backgrounds and where they're coming in. So that kind of the way that you view uh, Mother's Day. And so some of you, a few of you, we're mostly young here, are mothers. And, you know, so that's awesome. Uh, some of you are mothers and maybe your kids aren't like as awesome as you wish they were. And they don't even think about you on Mother's Day. Uh, some of you are mothers and have awesome kids. Some of you are, uh, are kids and you don't have very awesome moms. And so on Mother's Day, when everybody's buying sweet cards saying how great she, their mother is, you're like, well, that doesn't apply to me. That's not, that's not my deal. And so, so Mother's Day for you can be kind of bittersweet, like a reminder, like I have a mom, but she's not like what a mom should be, and so it's just like putting in your face, like this is what mom should be like, and I don't, didn't have that, and some of you wish that you were moms, and Mother's Day can be a difficult reminder that you're not, or you've lost a child, or you're estranged from your child, and you know, if, wherever you are on that spectrum, we just want to take a moment and just like recognize like, that you as, as a woman are called to be a nurturer, called to be someone who loves people and nurtures them. And so wherever you are on the scale of where your mom, whether she was a good mom to you or not, or whether you wish you had kids and you didn't, or your kids didn't remember to wish you Happy Mother's Day or send you a card or give you a call, that just stop here and just like thank you for who you are and to recognize that wherever you are on the spectrum, that God can redeem your past and your present and your future. And that's what he does. God's kind of been doing that from out the all of history of the, of the world. Like he created Adam and Eve and they were perfect and that lasted like five minutes and it was downhill from there. And the world is just kind of messed up and broken. And no, nobody's family, nobody's life is like the greeting card life. Nobody's family is like the sitcom life, right? Where everything is resolved in 22 minutes and then we're happy, go lucky, and we close out and there's credits. Like everybody's family is messed up. Everybody's present has problems, but God is in the middle of redeeming. So we just want to celebrate you and just stop for a minute and thank you mothers that are mothers. And wherever you are on the spectrum, God is redeeming you in this process. And so 
even though it can be bittersweet in the moment, it can be a bittersweet reminder that this world is broken, but Jesus is returning again to set all things right. And so he said, like, one of the part, one of the, one of the, the downfalls of the fall would be that mothers and, and daughters and sons and fathers would be pitted against each other, but one day he's returning, and we'll all be at peace with each other. There'll be happy family reunions one day. You'll be able to actually give somebody a greeting card and actually mean it because we'll be, you know, it won't be like, oh, that's nice, I'll get by, no, but actually mean it because that is um, the truth. And so let's just recognize that today for wherever you are in the midst. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray for everyone here who um, is a mother, wants to be a mother, uh, has been a mother. I guess you're always a mother in some way or the other. God, we thank you for them. And God, whether they've been great moms or had great moms or haven't been a great mom or haven't had a great mom, God, I thank you that you are in the middle of redemption and that the final, the final period of the story hasn't been uh, dotted yet. And God, for the rest of us, maybe we had great moms, maybe we didn't, maybe we were estranged from them. Father, I pray that you would help us to, um, to trust you that you're redeeming the story that uh, um, all of us can be a part of the way, uh, the way you describe the church, the New, the new Testament church of uh, older women nurturing and admonishing and teaching and leading younger women and younger women looking up to uh, the older women in the church. And uh, God, I thank you that uh, even my story is blessed by that kind of story with, uh, with my wife. And I thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Last week, we started the book of Nehemiah. There's 13 chapters, and we're going to take 13 weeks in there. It's not going to do a chapter a week. We're just going to, we're going to it's kind of front-loaded, so we're going to take some time here, so don't get nervous that I'm only going through a little bit. It's going to pick up speed as we go along, but we, we touched on Nehemiah last week, and we just kind of did an overall kind of uh, a 30,000-foot view of what ha- had been going on in the past of the nation of Israel and what led them to their point where they were now. And so there's just a very, very quick kind of picture is that uh, the nation of Israel, God had called them. He said, you're going to be my special people. I'm going to declare my glory among the nations through you the way I love you and put my, put my, uh, my glory, my, my joy, my my." My presence in your midst is going to set you apart from the other nations that are around you by the fact that I dwell actually in your midst. And he said, if you obey my commandments, then I will bless you, and it's going to grow great with you. But if you fall away from me, if you worship vain idols that are not gods, if you, if you worship other gods, then it's not going to go well with you. And so that he was very, 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 very patient with them over and over and over again. But finally, it just like it was gone too far. And the nation by then had kind of split up into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom got taken in to captivity. And then the southern kingdom, a couple hundred, maybe 150, 200 years later, they get captured by the Babylonians, I believe that, yes, by the Babylonians, and taken into captivity. They come in, they tear down the walls, because in that day, the, the way that a nation or a city protected itself was you had giant walls and gates, and that was sort of the, your identification with, you know, who you were, like, that you identified that th- we're, we live in Jerusalem, and we're a mighty city because we have this mighty wall and this big gate, and that's how we're safe, like, kind of Myrtle Beach now identifies ourselves by the giant Ferris wheel, like, hey, that's who we are, and they had a giant wall and a gate, that's who they were, you know, some people have, like, the 
Empire State Buildings, we will have the, you know, the Space Needle, other people have, like, we have, like, the giant Ferris wheel, that's kind of what we are about now, but that's, that's who we are, we live in a tourist town, that's the deal, and so that, that's who they were, they identified themselves by this wall, and so they protected themselves that way, and they came in, and they tore down the wall, they tore down the gates, and they took the people into captivity, they took, first of all, the best and the brightest, and took them into captivity, and then they came back later on and took some more, and then there's almost nobody left because they didn't want, because they remember they didn't have like, like spy satellites to spy, and they're like, oh, look, they're, they're trying to get a, an army together. It was like radio silence out there, so if you didn't want a nation that you had conquered to kind of be able to break off again, you would take all their people away and just kind of leave the place a wasteland. And so the people of Judah that's the southern kingdom of Israel, the people in Judah are in captivity, and they're just waiting. Because God had promised them that he said, I will always have a king from the line of David on the throne in Jerusalem. And he said, and I will dwell, this, you'll be my special people, and this will be your special land, and you will dwell here. And the thing that will set you apart from everybody else, the, everybody else that are worshiping their gods, that have mighty armies and cool things like that, is like the thing that will set you apart is that I will be in your midst. Which, by the way, believers, that's what sets us apart from everybody else. There's a lot of other great religions out there that make good people. When I say great religions, I mean, there's like, they, some of them do a better job at making good people than us, right? Right? I mean, there's some people that are really good people in the other religions. They got a lot of stuff going for them. The only thing that's different, though, that makes all the difference in the world, though, is that we serve and love the one and only true God, and he dwells in our midst. And that sets us apart. And so they've been in captivity for years and years and years. Jerusalem is in wasteland. The people are in wasteland. And there's this guy named Nehemiah. And he had moved up in the, uh, he was a servant, and he had moved up somehow to a very high position in the king's household. He'd become the cupbearer to the king. And if you guys, we touched on it last week, the cupbearer was a very, very important and very trusted position for the king because the job of the cupbearer was to taste the king's drink to make sure what? It wasn't poisoned. So that is a big time job, but also high risk, right? I mean, you mess up one time and, you know, it's a pension plan for your family, somebody else is stepping in and being the cupbearer to the king. But he's trusting you because he's trusting you that you're not going to be the one that is poisoning him. So you're tasting his food, you're tasting his drink, you'd also be an expert in wine because you're serving wine to the king, so you'd be a, a sommelier, is that the correct term? A sommelier, knowing the right vintage and the, what goes with this fish and what goes with this meat. And you know, so the king, and you would be hanging around the king, so you would be very close and trusted member of the king's household. He would know, you would know what's going on. You would be privy to lots of private conversations. And so Nehemiah had this cush job. I mean, because that is kind of a cush job, right? I mean, not a lot of heavy lifting involved in picking out wine and tasting it and, and giving it to the king. So he has this cush job. He's in the palace. He's in the castle. Got a really nice pension plan. He's got the ear of the king. He kind of knows where, like, what's going on, where he should invest his money because, hey, they're going to be building a new castle over there. I'm going to invest my money over here in this scheme. Like, he's got all this, got a really cool position going on. Life is going well. And then he had one conversation that wrecked him and changed the rest of his life forever. And we talked about last week how isn't it funny how sometimes just one conversation can change your life. I told you guys about how Megan and I had dated for like five years. 
and because uh, I make fast decisions. And we've been dating for five years, and one day my mentor asked me, so uh, tell me about Megan. And I was like, yeah, she's awesome. We're going to get married one day probably. He's like, well, when's that going to happen? I'm like, oh, one day. And he's like, well, when is that going to be? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, what are you waiting for? And I didn't have an answer for him. And really, that conversation, that unexpected conversation coming back from lunch at, of all places, Ryan's in Conway, back to our office, sparked Spark, I've learned a lot since then. Spark to change. And that night, whenever I was winding and dining Megan at the Huddle House, <laughs> and we're sitting around the table talking, and we would, people are always asking us, hey, when are you guys getting married? And I'm like, ha, 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 you know, we'd always laugh, like both of us, like, ah, ha, 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 yeah, yeah. No, but this one, this one time, though, I said, hey, you'll never believe what Craig asked me. Ha, 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 he's asked me when we're going to get married. Ha, 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 and I looked at her, and she looked back at me like this and said, Well, what did you say to him? And I was like, oh, crap, this is, this is taking a different, oh, a hard left turn than I expected it to go. And really at that moment, really, actually, I guess I knew something was different whenever he asked me earlier that day. That conversation was going to change my life. Six months later, we were young but hitched. And thank goodness I locked her in when she was young. Or she had no idea she could have upgraded, and I got her locked in early. But that one conversation changed your life forever. You ever had a conversation like that? It just seemed like kind of an innocent conversation with somebody. And the next thing you know, like your life has changed. You're moving to a different city. So somebody's got a ring on their finger. Like, like things are totally different than, it was, than they were before. That's what happened to me. I was sitting at my desk one, one day doing paperwork. I have a small business, and I was, I'm not very good at paperwork, so it takes me a while. And I was doing, I was thinking, listening to this, these guys talk on the computer. And this thought came across my head. Do you know what I would really like to do with my life? There's really nothing I'd rather do with my life than to preach the gospel and help lead a team of people on mission. And then I started crying like a baby, and I went and told Megan a little while later, and our future was changed. Comfortable life with a fairly successful business. At that point, we had a cute little girl and a comfortable house, and that was kind of changed. The future was changed by that one conversation. That's what happens to Nehemiah. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, if you could find it, it's before, um, kind of before the Psalms, the early part there. If you were part of uh, Awana like I was growing up, you would have like the song memorized in your head and you can count towards it. Anybody else have the, like a, the books of the Bible by song in your head? Yeah, I know you do, David. David's got it. David and I could see him. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll, uh, we'll go ahead and start in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. That's the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. As I was, boy, these names are awesome, aren't they? As I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them, this casual conversation, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile. So the Pause. So the Jews have been taken to exile. They've been there for years. God moves upon the heart of the king before Artaxerxes, and he sends some people back to Jerusalem to build the temple. And so they go back, and they build the temple, and things are pretty cool, but the walls, actually, they try to build the walls, and then that gets stopped, and uh, they're just kind of sitting there. Okay, unpause. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. 
you know, we don't know if he's serious about this conversation or he's just kind of asking them in passing. Because think about it, Nehemiah had never seen the city of Jerusalem. He had lived uh, in, the, in the capital of Persia probably all his life. Verse 3, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And that one conversation changed the course of Nehemiah's life. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Whenever he heard the report, we're going to get into why that is, he, it broke his heart. Have you ever heard anything that stirred your heart and your soul? Some report about the way things are and how it's different than the way things should be. Nehemiah had obviously been a, stu- a student of the Bible, and he knew that God had called the people of Israel to be his special people, and he had called in the city of Jerusalem to be God's special place where his presence dwelt, and where he, the way that God worked among the people in Jerusalem and the nation of Israel should be so awesome and so different from everybody else in the world that when the rest of the world looked into the nation of Israel and looked into the city of Jerusalem, they saw these are God. Something is different about these people. They're, the God that they, must, that they worship must be the true and one and only God. But whenever he heard the report about how the walls had been torn down and the, the gates had been burned by fire and the people were living in shame, because you got to remember, like, that's their identity as a city, the fact that they have the, the walls and the gates, and it's their protection from, from people that are going to come in and raid them. Anybody can come in while you're sleeping at night and come in and raid and take, in, take out your livestock and take out your kids and your daughters and your, your wives that can come in and raid the city anytime that they want to. Because there are no walls and no gate. And when Nehemiah heard about the state of God's people, the way they were, it broke his heart. I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now I'm going to read the prayer that he prayed, and we're going to come back, and we're going to see what is the, what's going on here. And I said... O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So he's confessing the sins. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, remember this is what I talked about before, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, that's Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was a cupbearer to the king. 
Nehemiah was, as we said before, he was dwelling in comfort and security as his posh job. He hears the story about how the, the walls are torn down, the gates are burned by fire, and it re- arrests his heart. He's a man of an arrested heart. He had a plan, he had a deal, he had a, a path that he was going down, and all of a sudden, an external power comes in and arrests him to go in a different direction. Isn't that what being arrested is like? Like one day, you're just hanging around at your house or at your state of business. Maybe you, you did something in the past. Maybe you forgot about it. And somebody shows up and they said, oh, remember that thing that you did? Your life has changed. We're going to bind you and chain you. You're, you're going with us. You've been arrested. And Nehemiah's heart that had happened to him. Have you ever had your heart arrested? You were like going down your path, maybe you're like enjoying singlehood, you're a single guy, single gal, you're going down the path and you meet this person. Oftentimes I hear the story like the guy like meets the girl and, and like thinks she's beautiful from the, from the start, but the girl's like, yeah, I didn't like him that much. Yeah, he, yeah he, I wasn't all that much about him. Every now and then you hear the story like, yeah, I was out about him from day one, but a lot of times it's like, yeah, he had to grow on me. I hear a couple of stories like he was like, yeah, I liked her from the beginning, and she's like, yeah, I hated him. I absolutely hated him. But you start to talk, and a little bit goes, a little bit you get, goes down the road. You start to talk with each other. He sticks around, and all of a sudden, he grows on you. Before you know it, like your heart's been arrested by them, and you love them. Has your heart, has your heart ever been arrested by God? One day you're going down your path of your life, just doing whatever you want to do. And then one day you hear the story of the gospel. Maybe you've heard it a lot before. But one day you hear it, and the fact that you are by, by nature and by choice a sinner separated from God, and that Christ in love for you came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died a substitutionary death for you, all of a sudden one day it goes from being silly to being precious to you. Your heart's been arrested by him. And then what happens whenever you get to know somebody that you love and you start to hang out with them, all of a sudden the things that they care about, all of a sudden you start to care about, right? Uh, James is sitting over there. He married my sister Andrea, who never really cared, cared about athletics, uh, never cared about anything like that, just kind of a, a girly girl. And now, so they've been married for a while, and like she talks about golfing. She talks about golfers, like, oh, yeah, he came in third and he came in second. I wonder what he's going to do. You know, he's really, you know, his short game has really improved a lot. I think he's doing, and I'm like, who are you? What are you talking about? Why would you care about that? They went to go see a race, a NASCAR race. I don't understand, but they did. They went to go see that. My sister, why? Because she's hanging out with him. She gets married to him, and all of a sudden she starts to care about what he cares about. Because whenever you love somebody, your heart moves with them and you start to care about what they care about. And Nehemiah, obviously, is hanging out. He's got a comfortable life. He's hanging out with the, in the king's house, but he's reading the Bible. He's hearing the Bible spoken about. And he hears how God's plan and God's heart is to declare his glory among the nations in the way that he loves the people of Israel. And he says, this is not it. We can't stay here. God needs to... We gotta go back to Jerusalem and we gotta build the wall and build the gates and, and let God show his glory to the nations around us in the way that he loves us. 
And he starts to care about it. And all of a sudden, when these guys come in, he says, hey, how was your trip to Israel? You know, how was the vacation? Or how was it visiting family? Or whatever you were doing down there. And they're like, man, it's rough down there. The, gate, the walls are torn down. The gates are burned. The people are living in shame. And all of a sudden, his heart, his, that he cares about the things of God, like the way God cares about it, all of a sudden, that wrecks him. And he says, I can't live in comfort and security any longer. His heart is arrested. We're going to talk about what is the anatomy of an arrested heart, what is the, an effect of an arrested heart, and what is the focus of an arrested heart. What's the anatomy of an arrested heart? How does that happen? What is the effect of an arrested heart? What's going to change? How's my life going to look like when my heart is arrested? And I care about the things that God cares about the way that he cares about it. And we're going to talk about what is the focus. What am I looking at in the arrested heart? Nehemiah had never seen the city of Jerusalem in its heyday. He had never seen the walls built. He had never seen the gates he never walked down the road into one of the gates in Jerusalem and seen the mighty walls and the, and the people, the armies that are protecting. He never seen this gate that opens and closes. It closes at night to keep predators and enemies outside. He had never seen the temple and its majesty. It was one of the wonders of the world. When you look at it, the, there was gold on the, on the outside. It would glisten. This giant building would glisten in the sunlight. And as an Israelite, as a Jew, to know that you were different as a nation, even though other people had their temples, other people had their churches to go and worship in, but your temple that you were going to was different because God dwelt there in the middle, in the holiest of holies. His presence was there. He had never seen that with his eyes. He never known what it was like to live in Jerusalem to, among his own people. But as he studied the word, his heart started to care about what God cared about the way that he cared about it. Nehemiah had never seen, he wasn't there when God led his people out of the nation of Egypt when they, where they were slaves and freed them and opened up the waters and the sea parted and they walked through it. He had never seen that with his own eyes. He hadn't seen that with his own eyes. He hadn't seen when Moses went up on the mountain and was meeting with God and the whole mountain was shaking and there was lightning and flashing and a giant storm around so much that the people around it were afraid. And when Moses came back down, he had met with God and his face was shining. He hadn't seen that. But he had read about it and heard about it. And even though he was stuck in exile, stuck away as a captive, as a prisoner of this foreign power, he cared. He had caught a glimpse of the nature and the character of God in the scripture. And he had seen God's plan for his name to be shown great among the peoples in scripture. And he started to care about what God cared about. He saw the way things could be and the way they, they should be. And his heart was captured by that. That's what led him to pray. Because whenever he heard the story about where his people were, how they were stuck in this, and shameful in this city that was broken down and torn down, they had no protection, no help. When he heard that, he saw what could be and what should be. Have you ever let your heart be captured by what could be and should be? When God said to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, 
Has that ever captured your heart? Have you ever experienced like the glory and the beauty and the face of Jesus Christ for yourself so much that you wanted other people to taste and experience the glory and beauty that is found in the face of Jesus? Because that's just human nature. When we taste something good, when we hear something cool, when we see something awesome, we can't help but to tell other people about it. We want them to see it and to, for themselves, right? That's why you take so many pictures on your phone of your vacations. The same places that other people have taken pictures of, we've seen them online, but you want to show us the same thing that you saw. We do it. How many people have seen, like, we all know what Disney World looks like. Whether you've seen it or you've been there, we all know what it looks like. We know what a family looks, we know what your family looks like, and we know what this castle looks like, and so therefore we know what your family looks like in front of the castle. But we want to show you because we experienced it, we want to share with you the fun and the joy of something. That's why you guys are constantly tweeting and putting on Facebook pictures of your food before you eat it or while you're eating it. Look, we know what a taco looks like. But when you tasted it that day, it's like, man, this is awesome. And you're looking around like you tell the person you're sitting with, this is awesome. And you're telling other people, like you're telling the server, like this is great. And you're like, this isn't enough. I need to tell everybody in the whole world what this taco is like. It's awesome. And when you had tasted and experienced something amazing and awesome, you want to share it with the people around you. And if you have experienced and tasted the beauty and the glory that's found in the face of Jesus Christ, when you have really tasted and experienced for yourself, you cannot help but to want other people to see it and taste it for themselves. He got a glimpse of the way things could be and they should be, and his heart was broken by the fact it didn't look like that anymore. Sort of like David whenever he shows up to the, to the battlefield where Goliath is taunting the nation of Israel. The whole army of Israel is there. And there's one man. He's a big man, but one man. One man. So you get a big man. Well, I'm not going to tell you the story. So, well, I was just going to confess that uh, Dale and Jamin and I went to a conference uh, earlier this week. And there may or may not have been a, uh, a wrestling match that broke out between, say, Jamin and myself. And this is a rumor that's going around. There was a, there was a wrestling match that broke out in the, uh, in the hotel room, of which there is a picture, and it looks very inappropriate. Uh, because we were wrestling, just, just, just to say, uh, Dale came in and said, hey, this is funny. I took a picture. Like, that should not go online at all. That looks inappropriate. But uh, um, I'm not saying who won, because I just don't want to say who won. My ribs are very sore, though, still. This is five days later, and when I roll over in bed or somebody, like, hits me right here, I, I wince a little bit. But, so there was one man, one giant man on the field of battle, and he was taunting the nation of Israel, and nobody would do anything. They're all standing aside. And little David shows up, and he sees Goliath, and he sees everybody standing around. He's like, why are you standing around? If God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's called us to be his people, then somebody needs to step up and take on this man, and God will deliver him into your hands. And if nobody else will do it, I will do it. And that's what happens to Nehemiah at this point. One of the story comes to him. 
The walls are broken down. And everybody's just sitting around saying, oh, man, this is terrible. This is shameful. The walls are torn down. And the gates have been burned by fire. And everybody's just sitting around talking about how bad it is. Nehemiah's back in the castle, and he hears about it hours and hours, days away, days and days away of travel. And he's sitting there, and he says, something has to happen about that. It cannot stay that way. And he says, we have to get back. The cause of an arrested heart, the anatomy of an arrested heart, the cause of an arrested heart is a glimpse of something more beautiful and amazing. And it captures your mind, your heart, and imagination. Whenever you hear that God, Jesus came to earth to build his church, to call people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue, when you hear that he has called people here in the Myrtle Beach area, 300,000 people here in the Myrtle Beach area, thousands and thousands and thousands of which have no idea how awesome and amazing Jesus Christ is. When, when, you, when you hear about that, does that ever, have you ever let that capture your heart and imagination? God, what could you do with the people? If you came, Jesus Christ, to build your church, what could you do with the people who gave themselves to you? Could you build your beautiful church here in the city of Myrtle Beach? And could you capture people who are here just looking for the endless summer? They're going to coastal, they're partying, they're serving tables, they came here to retire, they came here, they're just passing through, they're just enjoying whatever, using up the city for their pleasure, just looking for, searching for the endless summer. God, what could you do? Would you awaken a people for yourself among those people? You get a glimpse of something more beautiful and it captures your mind and your heart and your imagination. And over time, it begins to feel less like a good idea and it starts to begin to be in your heart something that has to happen until it almost feels like a moral imperative. I have to leverage my life, my time and energy, my position. That's what happened to Nehemiah. As he's thinking, as his heart's broken over the state of God's people back in Israel, Back in Jerusalem, he knows that if he's going to be a part of an answer, then he's going to have to leverage his position that God has put him in with the king. He's going to have to leverage his ability and put, put all that on the table and say, God, I'm using this for you and your glory and your kingdom. The cause of an arrested heart is a glimpse of something more beautiful until it becomes something that absolutely has to be. What's the effect of an, an arrested heart? When we see that he was, his heart was stirred by something that had to happen and became something that had to happen in him, what, what's the effect of an arrested heart? Well, first of all, it ruins us for the ordinary. Nehemiah was probably living a very happy life serving the king. He had a good job. He might have had a family. We don't know. Life was really, really comfortable. He was surrounded by luxury. He was surrounded by good things. It was, life was really, really nice and smooth for him. But all of a sudden, the ordinary was ruined for him. Uh, Megan and I, when we were, before we got married and while we were you know, in the process of getting married and then afterwards, we were a part of a community of people who are... Uh, who are part of a, a, a youth ministry in the Myrtle Beach area. And 
the really cool thing for us was that we were reaching these youth, a majority of which didn't have any sort of church background to them. It started there were only three youth, and by the time we were done, I think there was over 100, and a church like maybe about 350, 400 people. So for us, it was a pretty big youth group. Um, and the thing that really changed for us is that the t- we were a part of a team of people who shared their life with each other. And we gave ourselves, we all had jobs and, or in school, we all had stuff that were going on, but we, we shared our life together and we poured ourselves out in ministry for these teens and then we shared life together. And it ruined us for the future because we got a taste of what it's like to be a part of a team of people who share life deeply together yet live on mission. And it messed us up for the future. A comfortable life could never be ours again. A life of just like, hey, I've asked God, God, I would love to just be able to like have a job and go to church on Sunday and go home and not think about anything else. Like I see a lot of other people do, but I was ruined because I got a glimpse of what it's like to live on a, with a, a team of people on mission together. And God ruined me. He called my life to, to see like the Grand Strand area come and to see him as glorious and as majestic and as beautiful as he is. And my life was ruined. I couldn't go back anymore. The ordinary just didn't have the same taste. The flavor had changed. Life felt different. When I got up in the morning, it felt different to me. And my hope is for every person in this room that we would be captured by a picture of what could be until it becomes a point in our life where we see that it has to be. We see the gap between where we are and where God has called us to be. And we, we say that we have to leverage everything that we have to see us move from here to here. Let's look at real quick at the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. We see uh, three parts. First of all, when he starts off in, uh, in verse five, he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He starts off by, see, by seeing the nature and character of God, that God is God in heaven. He's great and awesome. That word awesome could also be translated as terrible. You ever thought about God as that? Like, he's so, he's so beautiful, he's so amazing that he's terrible. Ever seen somebody who, guys, ever stood in the presence of a woman who's so beautiful, like it's crossed the line, I was just like, beautiful, it's like, 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 I, I, like it's, my stomach's turning, I can't really look at her in the eyes, like, like because, no, maybe that's just me. <laughs> Have you, ever, have you ever, like, have you ever stood on the edge of a, of a cliff on the side of a mountain and you looked over the edge and you say, man, that's beautiful, that's amazingly tall, but then it's like terrifying. Have you ever sat outside in the middle of a thunderstorm and you hear the thunder and lightning flash all around you and then, and it's like, oh, this is nice, and then a shaft of lightning hits right beside you and like, it becomes something from just like cool and amazing, something that's awesome and terrible, that's what God is like. He's not a nice, safe God. One of my favorite quotes, and it has a couple times in the books of Narnia written by C.S. Lewis. The, 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 the picture of God in the Chronicles of Narnia is this guy, this, this lion named Aslan. And, and somebody's scared because he's a lion. And they're saying, no, 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 he's, he's Aslan. He's loving, he's amazing. And they're like, oh, so he's a tame lion? He's like, no, I didn't say he was tame. He's good, but he's not tame. That's the kind of God that we serve. He says he's great. He says he's awesome. He says he's faithful and he's covenant-keeping to us. And that leads him to to confess sin to him. 
He says, let your ear be attentive. And, this, and then he says, that I'm confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house, we have sinned against you. When you see the nature and character of God, it drives you to confess that you are a sinner, that you are far from him. Both me personally and us as a church, us as a nation, that we have fallen far from him. We confess that, and then we have a plea. We see the nature and character of God, we confess, and then there's a plea or a petition where we say, God, remember your plan. When you said that you were going to redeem the nation of Israel as a people for your own possession, remember that, God, and revisit us and draw us back. And we say that, God, you've called the church to be the, the picture of your glory on the earth. Would you move in our midst and call people to yourself? And the question that I ask, the final effect of an arrested heart, is I say, God, what role can I play in that? What role can I play in that? Where do I come in? Because every time we see people get a glimpse of who God is and his amazingness in Scripture, they're always sent. When Isaiah sees God in the, in the temple in his amazing glory, he hears God ask, who will I send? And Isaiah says, send me. And then what we've already touched on, what's the focus of an affected heart? It's that God would glorify himself. In Nehemiah 1.10, he says, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So therefore, he's saying after that, God, move. Help me. My heart has been wrecked by a picture of what things could be like and should be like. My heart has been arrested by you. But you have redeemed us by your strong hand. Now flex those muscles and redeem us again. My prayer is that as we continue to work through the book of Nehemiah, that each of us would have a heart that's arrested for him that the ordinary life would no longer be comfortable and palpable for us anymore. But our, our answer to God would be say, God, how can I leverage the gifts and talents, the abilities, the money, the position, the, uh, the relationships that I have, how can I leverage those for your glory and your kingdom? And God, if I, as I stretch my hand out to do that, I'm asking that you would do what only you can do. That's what we're going to get to see next week, how God shows up and does in Nehemiah's life through him only what he could have done. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.